Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I have to tell you something, people. Easter just passed. And uh, and you know what's funny? Because I have to wash my sodium, I, I never eat that much ham. But Joanne's mom came over and she brought this biggest ham. It was like seven pounds. And there's like three of us. And now what happens is, you know, ham's not one of those meats that you sit there and you really, you know, say, oh, I'm going to make this. So I'm going through all these recipes trying to make stuff. And I'm just going to slowly probably get a heart problem again because ham is so good and it's so high in sodium and I have to eat it. Anyway, we have a great show today. We have, we have a very uh, very talented gentleman who is from the Philadelphia area. I know he grew up, he was born in Harrisburg, but he, he got his teeth cut in the Philadelphia music scene, I believe. And I know he's friends with my friend David, who's a drummer from Hooters, and he's played with In The Pocket, and he has a new album coming out, and it's out. His name is Jeffrey Gaines. How you doing, Jeffrey? I'm doing great. What's up? Got to watch the I know it's crazy. It's it's thing. I had a hard problem a few years ago. I actually wrote a book about low sodium cooking. Uh, but um, oh, well, I have to pick that up from you, man, because uh, on the road, rocking and rolling and whatnot, uh, you end up uh, eating whatever's put out, and uh, you know it's like, hey, whatever they serve it, or you know, or like the truck stop deal when the tour bus pulls over. If you ride on one of those. They stop for gas. You just get out and do your best in the mini market. Yeah. So, <laughs> really how, bad. how have you kept your health? Cup of noodles. Yeah, really, how have you? Ha- you've been oh, you've been on the road for a long time. How do you sit there and subconsciously say to yourself, "Okay, I have to eat"? Because we all know if you're on the road, if you're traveling, or I used to do comedy, and you're driving and you get hungry and you're in the middle of nowhere, you just can't stop and eat healthy. You can't pull over to a stop and get carrots or. Or celery. I mean, do you subconsciously put it together to make sure that you eat healthy? Because you look good. You're, you're, you've been a musician for a long time. You've been working forever. How do you keep your health intact? Oh, that's not even a concern. I wish it were a concern of mine. I'd be, be feeling a lot better, most likely doing a lot better. But uh, yeah, I really let those things fall by the wayside and don't consider it at all. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm you know... Uh, um, I, I was really enjoying living like a kid. The prolonged rock, like the rock and roll, is like, you know, the uh, the arrested development in a sense. I mean, you're just trying to like live like a kid for the rest of your life. That's the dream. Steven Tyler's probably doing it the best of anyone I've seen. But um, you know, you just you just try to keep all your good old fun habits, and uh, they come up and get you. And at a certain point, this they, I mean, so. That's where I'm at right now. I'm actually wondering how to rock and roll as a as a grown person, as a grown up. And it's like I'm right on the cusp right now, where I'm just like, oh man, you know, like, <laughs> if you can't do any of the things that were fun about it, what's good? What are you gonna? Do, what are the new things to derive? What are the new fun things? Because all the other, th- all the good old things we used to do are pretty much frowned upon nowadays. And uh, <laughs> you are know, like, huh? What's the new kicks? Is, is it, isn't that amazing? Because, you know, and you, as I said, you've been in a business, how things change. You know, when I did comedy in the late 80s and early 90s, we basically say we were like the new rock stars because we lived that crazy life. But rock stars yeah. and the music, you guys, you could always, you used to be you could do whatever you want and it was acceptable because, hey, they're musicians and we everyone loves musicians. But now it seems it's like, being a musician, and I talked to guests about this before. There's like, there's not going to be any new rock stars. I don't think anymore because you can't really live a rock style lifestyle without being looked down upon. Yeah, it's rough. It's really rough. <laughs> it's it's pretty rough. So yeah, I mean, I was just uh, playing with. Uh, I was in Boston last night at the Wilbur Theater, and uh, you know, I stand there a little longer. I linger a little longer in the applause. You know what I mean? I lean my ear out into it deeper, and, and like it goes deeper within me, because I know like these, these, this is it. Like you know, like at the end of each song, when the people like you know, when you've won them, and they're like letting you know that was amazing or whatever they're feeling, they're letting you know. I, I just stand there and lean into it deeper because that's pretty much going to be the thing now. You know, like I mean, those moments on stage are, should not be trifled, man. I mean, you really love them and drink them in. Because then, you know, it's pretty much, yeah, just getting the, you know, getting your ride, you know, stone cold sober, just drive on back to Philly, just drive to Boston, play the show, drive on back to Philly. You know, you're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) You know, 
like, what? Am I, like, you know, that's it. No, is, hey, is there an after party? Is there a, no, that's pretty much, no. Six hours of flat driving. No, no big whoop. You know, having a water. Just keeping it right. <laughs> Staying up. <laughs> Staying away, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, a lot of the good old, the good old things. But, I mean, you know, I, as we're, as we're even talking about this, just like, you know, the new society at large has me apprehensive about even mentioning some of the fun. Like, I, I won't even say what we're, what, what we're missing. <laughs> <laughs> I won't even speak about what we're talking about. But yeah, I know what you're talking about. So now, now, when did you start? When did you get an interest in music? Growing up, was your family musical or what brought you into your career? I mean, what made you pick up a, a, mus- a guitar and start playing? I think, uh, luckily, it's a great time for me. It's a great time for for music, being the most powerful thing, the most powerful superhero that you could look to as a kid was a rock star. You know, um, David Bowie with the painted face, you know, doing the Ziggy Stardust stuff to to Kiss coming out. Like you're just like, man, there was action figures. <laughs> you know what I mean? You could go from like I'm a musician to an action figure. I'm like, yeah, I've got the Kiss dolls. And yeah, you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, let's do this, you know? Um, and so I guess it, it's just about the time period. So, you know, if, uh, you know, I'm a kid, and like, you know, uh, 72 and stuff like that. I'm a child looking at everything it's sold, every commercial, every cartoon, every, you know, they have a, they have a band, Josie and the Pussycats are a, are a band, like, you know? Everything comes on with a song. Every product is sold to you with a jingle. And you just go, music is everything and everything. My parents always have the music, the, the stereo, or the records playing, the radio when we drive. Like, everything is supported. Every life function, it seems, it was, was supported. Backdrop of music. And instead of me finding socialization in the people, I found socialization in the music. So the background became my foreground. And... You know, I'm a hard person to take to a party because they usually have some record playing in the background, and I'm listening to that. <laughs> My ears go right to the music and the bass line, and who is that, and what is that? Someone's mouth starts just moving, and I don't hear their words anymore. <laughs> you know, and they're telling me about work or whatever they're talking about at their dinner party, and I'm like, I can't even hear what you're saying for trying to hear deeper into the music that's playing in the background. So I switched it. It's become my foreground. And so I got a guitar really early. I had drums as a, you know, as a single digit kid, <laughs> like maybe like nine or something. And it, cause you know, all kids have energy, like too much energy and they're banging around the pots and pans or whatever. But so I got me a drum kit and, uh, that to guitar later on when I started singing, getting in bands, junior high. Yeah. Junior high, I was uh, performing in front of other junior highs, doing assemblies. Uh, you know, so you just, like, start really innocently and find out that you're, like, maybe a little more addicted to uh, the stage time. Like, something about standing in an auditorium and knowing that there's, you know, well, your peers are out there, but then the lights, the house lights go out and they become silhouettes in the darkness. And you're under the spotlight. And there's a feeling that some people are going to get and get get stuck with it. And like you know, and then some people are like, well, yeah, I was, I did that and I got over it. But like I was like, nope, this is it. This is the thing because it'll be my vehicle uh, for my more inward personality to be drawn out. It's, uh, I don't think anybody would know anything about me. <laughs> I would. No one would know anything about me if it weren't for music. I would not have traveled the world and seen places and been invited to any experience. Like, almost every positive experience, it's not even exclusive to positive, but every experience I've experienced can be drawn back to uh, that music opened the door for me to have that, for me to walk through that. Uh, From from loves of my life, (laughs) you know, it's like, those were probably people who heard me singing and met me before they met me, you know? Now, now, when did you start writing your own songs? You know, you said in high school and then you're junior high, then high school you were playing. Were you writing your own songs? Did you start then or were, or were you in cover bands or what was the process? 
I was in cover bands and totally happy doing that. Let's be real. I mean, uh, I love to sing. Like, singing's the first thing. And, and my singing came to me by mocking other singers. So, you know, 70s, uh, you know, radio, there's like a lot of Elton John. There's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of really good singers and, you know, songcraft. Uh, but by the time I'm in bands, we're doing new wave and, and stuff like that, just of the time period, you know, early 80s or whatever, you know, 79, 80. And uh, she's so doing a lot of new wave stuff and uh, singing being the first thing I would be enjoying. We could, I could do a night of Joe Jackson's first two records. You know, three records. And like, you just say to yourself, man, this is so satisfying. You know, I love this music and I love doing it. People are doing their dances on the dance floor. And it seems very, we're successful. That's fine. That's really all I want from it, just to be doing this. Um, but accidentally, I ended up writing some songs. You know, just got left alone in a rehearsal room. I think the band I was with then, they just took a, a dinner break. And I had a really good tone on the electric guitar, which is rare for me. Uh, dialing up the, uh, <laughs> all the buttons and the knobs and the, you know, it's a lot more to making a good sound on electric, but I had a great one. I almost didn't want to leave. And when they came back from the dinner break, I'd written some song and so debuted it there to their ears first and said, what do you think of this? And they said, it doesn't sound, doesn't sound local. <laughs> Meaning it sounds like a famous song. It sounds like a song song that we would do, not like a, a guy we know wrote a song. Right. So that, I guess in the town I grew up in, that was the differential. Because there were people writing their songs, but it sounded like, yeah, that sounds like a local song or not like the ones from records we like. So I got a little high, little, little touch of a compliment, a little encouragement. And that sounds like something we would do. And uh, so it just came out like that. We started playing my songs. And, you know, and it came slow because there was really no hurry to, like, become an original band. But, you know. Now, so it came slower, so, you know, it was really nice. Where were you, were you playing, you're, you, you were born in Harrisburg, right? Did you grow up in Harrisburg? Grew up, I grew up there, yeah. That's where this all happened. That's where the story of that story was from. So where were you playing? Local clubs in Harrisburg? Or were you going like, to, like, the village in Lancaster? Or, like, where were you guys gigging? Were you getting down to Philly? Or where was your cover bands playing at? Um, one of the best places to play was uh, a club called the Metron. And, um... It's pretty big, but uh, yeah, village. Um, got a few there, but um, there's enough to do locally. There's a lot more than the club scene to play because people are having parties. You know what I mean? You can get booked at like uh, like colleges. Uh, the drummer of one group was um, DJ at Shippensburg University, so he had like a a lock on a bunch of different colleges. You know, throughout we do. You know, when you play in college, it's like, it's, it's in a sense a forced, it's like some forced thing upon the school. The schools have this money and they, they have these arts programs and they have to sort of put on a certain amount of performances or, you know, events or they don't get that money from the government the next year, so they have to use it. So they're like, you know, we probably have to have a, a spring fling or something and hire a band, you know. So you just play it out in the field somewhere because it's spring and they, they've thrown a concert. So you get a lot of gigs. You know, there's a lot of things to do. Basement parties to, you know, to anything, you know. Now, now you're playing them. So now when do you get signed by, when do you decide you're going to try to get signed by a record deal? When, deal, when does that happen in your career? Okay. That is a pretty, that's an interesting time because 1988, I would say, was the first release ever of anything. Uh, I was working with a guy, Shay Quinn, from a band called The Sharks. And they were a huge cover band in that uh, area. Um, but he wanted to do a little side project. And, uh, and uh, he uh, got me to... Well, we wrote a song. We wrote a few songs together, and he put out a just a single. Uh, and that was 1988, and it had a song that appeared on my first record also. It's tough of what it is, but it was first released in 88. Uh, and that was the first thing I ever did that uh, started the, you know, uh, for sale of Jeffrey Gaines. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm for sale. Um, 
started up, there was a guy, Mike Block, who moved in, had a wonderful recording studio. And uh, so recording we could do for next to nothing, as long as we, you know, promoted his place. And he got his other business through, like, doing commercials and voiceovers and all that stuff. So he's making his money. And at night, the studio would, like, be sitting there empty. And he'd be like, if you guys, you know, maintain my yard, your house set for me, when stuff like that, you can use the studio, you know. Um, so we, I was spending overnight cutting songs, and these things, you know, start getting out. The local radio uh, starts playing them, and uh, you know, 93.5 WTPA just uh, starts playing these songs, just like unfully, like, boom, there's just free songs going on in the air. Um, word gets out pretty quickly. I, I love that uh, it was all pretty word of mouth, and um, I think uh, I moved to Philadelphia in, uh, in 1989. And I uh, got a manager, uh, um, Guru, uh, Rick Cohen, and Larry Goldfarb. So those guys started uh, exploiting my uh, my talents a little wider, a little deeper, a little further. You know, road trips, more gigs, um, and that's how it is. I mean, I, I got signed out of New York. I was playing at the Bitter End. Uh, and uh, those guys uh, got a bunch of labels to come over, and it was pretty simple. It was like, you know, saw the guy play eight songs, let's do a deal. So, first thing, you know, getting my teeth cut or anything, I don't know that I ever, ever really did that, because I got signed before I got, like, a local following. I never really got a big, you know, he's really part of the scene, something should happen. I mean, I kind of snuck in the back door and, and just got him when I was extremely say virginal about it you know because it's like i was you know my my, my eight song set were things that people were hadn't really even heard they weren't, those songs weren't worn out you know so the first record that came out in 92 uh was a shock to every to a lot of people that i knew and um a first listen to uh to so many more it was just like who's this person it's like well I, i'd had them but you know, these these songs were being played in, uh, you know, in college lunchrooms and, you know, student centers. And, you know, I mean, these gigs paid well. You know, you play LaSalle University in their coffee house or whatever. There's, there's kids doing homework. You know, you play, play Bryn Mawr, you know, in their little student center. There's just girls in pajamas, like, sleeping on the couches and, like, laying there and sort of casually listening to you, loving that you're there, but, like, not thinking that, you know, it's free, you know? So, like, yeah, this guy's really good, and he's nice, and we enjoyed it. It's a record now? Yeah. <laughs> Those same songs he was playing just to us casually listening are being, you know, reviewed. It's a pressed-up item. And um, I really enjoyed that 90s era because when you had a record, it was like there was a distinction. And I, I, I really enjoyed that. We don't have that much anymore because everyone can do it. But uh, I guess what I mean is it's similar to everybody plays football. You know, like all guys and kids, you know, grow up playing a sport. They play baseball and stuff like that. But, you know, people play, people that make it to the NBA or the NFL or, you know, it's like, that, that's the distinction. Yeah, you play, but then he's got a record out. At the time, it was like a difference, you know? And uh, that felt, that felt kind of cool to be uh, invited, you know, invited to, uh, to a group of people that, you know, there were the gatekeepers, and, and uh, there, was, uh, there was that selection. And if you got selected, you know, I always felt good that, you know, back then you could walk amongst others who did it. Yeah, meaning, yeah. meaning like, you know, you're like, hey, I'm on, this record's on EMI. This is Chrysalis Records. And then you could go backstage at the Grammys back then and be like, well, they're only letting us back here. And I hate to go, I hate to go there, but I'm about that. You know what I mean, I'm about like, holy hell, it's James Brown right there. And he's laughing with Michael Jackson right there. And I'm standing right here. You know, and like, oh, man, here comes the Chili Peppers. They're just running around acting nuts. And the only people, like, there's no, like, no one's checking your credentials because 
they're like, they've already done that if you're back here. You know what I mean? If you're back here, you, they've already cleared you. And you're like, that was cool to be cleared. <laughs> yeah, I, I, could, I, I would get that because you're right. Because, you know, I mean, as I sit there, I think about it growing up. Yeah, you know, you knew the record labels, Chrysalis, all those ones. And, and you bought albums and you knew as someone for me, when you heard someone was on an album, you're like, wow. Or for us, when we were younger, if we heard you on WMMR or one of those stations, we were like, oh, you know, that's a band. Or you saw an album at a record store. But you're right. Now, it's just like. Anyone, you, I could sit here and talk into my computer and record a spoken word album, but it's not like I actually got an album deal. Yeah, and it's tough. To, so it's like I've got a new record right now, and it sounds silly to say it <laughs> because everyone I say it to goes, I've got mine out too. I know what you mean. I'm like, oh, but wait, but okay, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my brother, yeah, my, like, hey, my brother has one, or my sister has one. Or my my nine year old has one. I'm like, oh, you're right. <laughs> because what is the difference between you know, just like I saw, I was at a photographer's place working on some artwork, and he had like a he's got like a like a 15 year old daughter who was up in her room, and uh, I saw her like singing. She was singing into her laptop, and I was like, what are you doing? She was like singing, like she would lean her head right down into the laptop and she was singing. I'm like, what are you doing? And then she played it back. She's like, I'm cutting vocals on like garage bands. Like, I'm like, are you serious? And she was like sitting in her room, cross leg on her bed, recording. And it sounded great. She was mixing and recording on the garage band, like making this thing right in her lap. And I'm like, how the hell can I do that? Like, <laughs> like how do you know how to do that? I'm like, that's amazing. And she's like, she's, you know, la like overlapping and doubling vocal. Like, she's singing into the computer, dude, and making an album. Yeah, she, and he goes, yeah, she does that all the time. <laughs> what if we had that? I was like, what if we had that? Man. Do you ever do you ever think about that? Like, you know, when you say, what if we had that? Also, like, with the social media, and even, you know, back in the day, people didn't sit there and really sell albums at their shows but now it's like people sell everything at their shows do you ever think about what you know how it would have been then if we had all this stuff the social media stuff like that do you ever sit there and go wow your career could be different and it could but you could have a lot of weirdos following you too that's the weird thing for a musician like back then you only had to worry if you know if you had a crazy groupie have them i had ray parker jr on a few weeks ago and he said how you know people would show up Back then, they just find out where you are. But now, could you imagine, like, if, if people would just find you? I mean, does, does he ever think that you sort of got lucky that you didn't have all the social media and stuff back like then? Because it, it probably saved you from a lot of getting in a lot of trouble. Yeah, it, it, uh, yeah. I mean, there's one aspect that I wish they might have had. Like, uh, I wish, uh, you know, people, you know, posting, say, uh, like on the Instagram type thing. I would have had much more... Uh, interesting journey to take people on if my if I had an Instagram in 1990 and ran that all the way to you know 1998. There was a lot of things that would have been really first looks for. It would have been the joy of watching me have first looks, you know, and like, hey, can you believe this? Is I would have had that exuberance that you know makes an Instagram good. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm in, you know.
to want this was, you know, you were sort of a, a minority group of people. There were few people who wanted to get on stage. There's more people who wanted to just be like on a football, like a, like a, like a quarterback or wrestling champ or something like that they could understand. But like getting a band, that was for the delinquents. That's for the odd, that's for the oddballs. And I'm like, that's what my rock and roll was made of. Like, you know, I'm not like everybody else, you know, called kinks. It's like, yeah, this is why you, you choose it because you're different than the rest of the people. But it's such a populist item right now that I would definitely have to punk out and not do it. Right. <laughs> it's like, what's the, what's the thing nobody wants to do? Go do that. Well, you know, you know it's funny, but then also at the time back then, you know, you, you made some TV appearances. I believe you were on Good Morning America and you probably had stuff on MTV. What was that like for back then? Because you didn't see a lot of musicians then. Well, you, uh, I didn't get a lot of musician flocks. Um, you didn't see a lot of musicians in the morning shows. <laughs> I'm like, somehow the label, uh, my, my publicist can only find the, the morning shows for me. So it's like, such a night guy, you know? I'm such a nocturnal animal. And then they'd like, you gotta be at, <laughs> at Regis and Kathy Lee, you know? I'm like, well, they're gonna hate me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they're all like, you know, it's all healthy and up and positive smiles. And I'm going to come in all dressed in black, all just shadowed out. Yeah, I mean, I look back at that. And I was like, I was freaking, I was freaking rage out. He's like, I got to pull every word out of this guy. What's wrong with this guy? I got to pull the words out of him. Why won't he speak to me? It's like, oh, I was like, God, fuck. I talk slower. I'm mysterious. And he's like, I don't do mysterious. <laughs> you know, when the, red, when the red light comes on, you shine. You know, he's like, he's like vaudevillian for crying out loud. He's like, you know, get on TV and, and turn it on, mister. And I'm like, no, man, I'm going to do the Jim Moore. Not on my show. <laughs> so there's a lot of weird, I should like my whole shtick would have gone better if we hadn't, you know, Letterman and night nighttime things. You know, they're like, yeah, now he's making sense. Now, now, you know, you played in your eyes. You did an acoustic version, and and when you did that, it wasn't yet a huge. It wasn't really as known by Peter Gabriel. How did that come about? How did you end up doing that song? Let me tell you, that's personal, and it's just it's like the girl. At the time that I happened to be in love with, was in love with that song. And the worst motivation made me do it. Just total jealousy. I want your attention. How can I do anything that has your anything that has your attention? I must conquer that so you so it turns back on me. <laughs> so I'm, I'm watching her sing, and I did this with one of the kids, my mother would just close her eyes and love listening to Otis Redding. And I'm like, well, I want you to feel that way about it. I have to learn how to sing. I've been loving you too long. I don't know why a little kid has to learn, you know, Otis Redding and all that pain and strife in his voice. I don't know how a kid's going to do that, but I'm going to do it. Because I want you to look at me like that. And so the girl like be in your eyes, and I'm like, I want you to look at me like that. <laughs> so... I just had to learn it so I could sing it for her and be like, now I'm special too. It's really, really, really childish what starts all this. And I have to admit it at this point, looking back, I, start, I sort of get it all now. But, uh, and then I learned it for her, but mostly for me, <laughs> to, you know, to win her back from Peter. Um, and then I found it was like a great little party trick if I was ever in a pinch and I was always in a pinch, uh, opening up for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Uh, in Europe, you playing to 10,000 people who were in Germany. They don't speak English as a first language. They don't know what I'm talking about, you know, for like, you know, eight songs. But they know, well, he can sing. I like the melodies of this. I don't really know. I'm not following the story lyrically. And I thought to myself, man, it's going great. But the great way to leave this stage would be if I could get, no matter what the language barrier is, if I could get everybody to sing English together, and I know they're going to know this, this is a global song, <laughs> you know what I mean? 
it was a global song, and we were traveling the globe. I'm going to try this out. And the first time I did it, boom, everybody just stood, you know, they stand to attention, and it's a call and answer chorus. So they just immediately jump right into singing the, the backup, you know, your eyes. And I'm like, unsolicited, not, not like, come on, everybody. I didn't say a word. It just happened organically, and it would always do that. So it seemed like a good little thing to have whenever you're in a pinch. <laughs> and uh, I'd like to lay it down. I would definitely like to lay it down. But uh, like I said, even I even used it last night because playing in front of Robin Trower, they're like, we don't really follow a lot of new music. We like what we like. We've made our decisions. <laughs> We're following our guys. So you're playing in front of somebody, an audience like that who's kind of, we already have all the records we want, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, but, you know, I played, uh, I dropped in Bad Company last night. I dropped in, because it's perfect for acoustic. I was like, I'm playing acoustic and solo acoustic. What if I played Seagull off the Bad Co. record, you know? And, out of just nowhere, the recognition of like, yeah, we've liked you so far. That was nice and everything. These are all really strong, really good. Who are you? And then you do something like, hey, I got that record. Hey, I know that music. And they can like, they can have that concert thing where they're like, oh, I remember where I was when this song played. You know, I don't have any of those with them. I don't have that sort of rapport with them. But I, I can get into where, to where they were. So sometimes, you know, starting out in cover bands, it's a wonderful tool to have when you need it. There was a show uh, we played with Robin Trower also where I'd mentioned some things about a birthday. And somebody in the crowd yelled, hey, it's Eric Clapton's birthday too. And so I was like, just like that, I was like, well, you know what I do know? <laughs> I do know uh, some blind faith. <laughs> survival out here man <laughs> and, and music is the, and the palette is wide you know the, the my paint box is pretty diverse and pretty wide and i'm prepared for a lot of situations so we could go <laughs> we could go a lot of places i heard though I, when i was reading something because i do my little research on you and it said when you go on stage you sort of just let it go with a flow does that mean you don't put a set list together or or what did you mean by that? Because it said you just sit there and sometimes the crowd, like you said last night, yells something out. A lot of bands won't do that. Why do you do that? Just because you love performing and you want to be at one with the audience? It's really about, yeah, connecting each night specifically to that night, tailor-making it to the, to the energy in the room. And that energy changes. And I can't foretell what it's going to be. I can't just go, and this is the set that I've written even an hour before, even if it's like, well, even an hour before, I don't know what I'm going to find when I walk out there. So don't pre-plan anything. It's like, you know, I usually know the first song I'm going to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know the first song I'm going to do, and that's the, that's the feeler. Like the feeler song will, you know, be selected, and I'll just know what I'm starting with. And then how that's received gives me a hint on where we're going from there. It really is about, you know, if a tour manager, uh, stage manager says, give me 40 minutes, that's what, that's all he's worried about. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you're doing an opener, for instance, it's like, he's like, just give me 40 minutes. So more than me saying how many, like, what songs I'm playing in that time period, I'm like, this is what I'm managing. This is the scope of it. That's my movie. That's the movie. So 40 minute, a 40 minute movie. What's the arc? What's the peak? That'll be shaped by what they do and then what I do in response to that. And we'll build it together. You know, so you're, you're, in the, you're definitely doing the same amount of work that somebody who writes a set list does. But my work is working in community and in, in concert with the people. 
instead of like most people who write a set list also also have to do that because they're a band writing a set list. So drummer just wants to know what's next. He starts counting it off. He gets tempos together. They need it for that reason. But I don't really. So I'm not. It's not. I don't need a set list like a band does. You know, guys are like, I've got to get ready for that tuning. I need to know when that's coming. What 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 song is this going to be? Maybe they'll change instrument or something like that. But for me, all I just need to know is when you want me to start and when would you like it to wrap, and then I'll make it from there. You know. No. And the songs are like, yeah, tempo and what you can get away with. Also, it's like, ooh, I've got them. I've got them. Man, first song, you know, you got them. Like, if I could do like a really slow intimate song that, that is almost like an accent like some like an actor dealing with some you know like an anthony i could do an anthony hopkins <laughs> delivery right now in the middle of this rock show but then like maybe the next night no way could i attempt that they will not come with me that deep they won't walk that deep into a forest with me so you know you know that you couldn't have re- you couldn't have written that down you know sometimes you're like i can go all the way into some song where there's like really quiet pauses and I know no one's going to yell at anything or like no one's going to be like they're going to be right on the tip of my they'll be right with me or not and if they're not then you're like just keep it rocking keep it up keep it energy you know it's different different ways to shape every night now now you came you just brought out a new album and now when you're playing your sets I'm sure you include that you didn't record for a long time was there a reason Oh, there's a reason for sure. I mean, uh, the reason was the prospect of doing it all by myself. Uh, I probably, I've never recorded, um, you know, with the costs of studios and things like that. I've never done that if it wasn't going to be a product paid for by somebody who wanted it. And, um, you know, that's just where I'm at. Um, the project in 88. Uh, even then, it was like, it, it's paid for, and it's going to be a plastic wear. It's going to be a thing, you know? It's going to be an item, and we're doing this for a reason, and uh, it's got a backer, and so it'll be paid for by somebody other than me, and uh, all i got to do is show up, I take the picture, I sing the songs, I do my music, and then I'll sign it, I'll sign it when somebody has it in their hand and, and is like, could you sign my... CD. I'm like, yes, I can, you know, like cassette or whatever the hell it was, you know, and you're like, that's what it's about. So that gap was because the prospect of recording would have been me making my, would have DIY, DIY in it. And I'm like, man, I don't know if, if nobody wants a record, I don't have the, I don't have the ego in me. But the presumption to be like, well, I'll make it anyway, because I know the, I don't know they want it. If they don't want it, I take that very literally. If nobody wants it, I go, well, nobody wants it. You know, um, the fans, you know, are awesome. They'll, they'll, they'll come to my shows because they love the songs that are out there. Um, there's a lot of people who don't even have the whole collection. You know what I mean? So it's like, there's people like will walk up to me and love me and say that they're my number one fan. And they'll go, and you know why I'm your number one fan? Because I have, I have all three of your records. And you say, oh my God, how cute. There's so many more to get. And so I'm playing to a lot of people. I'm playing to a lot of people in that gap of from the when you last recorded a product to now. There were people in that gap who didn't even have them all. So I mean, I looked at it like, well, there's still more work to do. What am I doing? What am I doing just making records? Um. There's people who haven't bought the ones that are out, you know? If you look at it like a very, back to sodium, <laughs> back to sodium, if you look at it with like a guy with a pizza shop, like, I'm going to make, I'm not going to just keep making pizzas. They're piling up. I'm, you know, when people buy the ones that are here, I'll have an empty shop, I'll make more pizzas. Like, I hate to go there, but it's like, I could just be piling them up and no one's listening to them. Like, the point is that you put it out. John Mellencamp taught me this. It's like, the point of putting them out is getting them in the hands of people. You don't just want to make them and have them not unheard. It's like, 
you know, because if I write new songs and I tape them on my phone or on a, on a just a cassette recorder, then then that that objective has been met. Like I had this song on my mind; it was bugging me. I had to get down and get the pen and the paper. I wrote this song, the melody, and the and then I recorded it. And I go, "That's it. There it is. Whew. Finished. I felt good. I'm done with that." So now the next thing that comes to mind is is what makes you then say, if I've been satisfied artistically, and that is to paint the painting or to make that music, the next ambition is probably maybe more ego. And that is, now it must hang in a gallery. Now it must go out to a record store. Now other people have to hear it. Like, like I heard it, and as an artist, I'm satisfied. Now, the, the necessity for others to hear it is all for... Now give me a pat on the back. I'm thinking, you know what I mean? I'm thinking it must be that. That must be the only reason why you then want to take it out to other people. You know? I tell myself the funniest jokes in the shower. Just thinking in my mind. I'm just thinking in my mind and I'm like, why did I just laugh in the middle of the shower? Because that, that was a funny story I just told myself in my brain. So if I'm, if I, if I have to, if I go tell it to somebody else, that's only because now I want their reaction. And very often, I don't necessarily need that. You know what I mean? I'm like, I don't need to just go out and solicit reaction. Because I'm pretty satisfied <laughs> that, damn, that was fucking funny. <laughs> Should I tell anyone? No, there's no need. There's no need to tell anybody. Unless, of course, I have a need to just get the reward of like, yay, you're funny, Jeff. <laughs> you know, from like, a multitude of people, and you as a comedian know what I'm talking about. It's like, you, you, wrote, you wrote funny jokes, and you're like, now I gotta go tell it to somebody. Because hopefully, then you could say to yourself, because I love the reaction, or in my case, I'm like, hopefully, I'm loving the, the, the job. Like, this could be a job for me. This could be how I take care of myself as a grown person that doesn't live in my parents' house anymore. So, so records always meant like that. I'm like, when I got signed in 1990, somebody came up, a, a guy, a grown man in a suit, said, "Hey man, I'm gonna make money off of you, and you're gonna get a taste too." And I'm like, "Well, that sounds awesome to me, because <laughs> I, I gotta pay rent." And so that's how I did my first record. Because somebody said. It's worth it to me to have it. I want what you got so I can make some loot off of it. And you can make some fame off of it. And uh, we can both be happy. So I like making records for people. I like being commissioned. I love, I'm, the, I'm the core composer who loves a commission. Or else, you know, painting the Sistine Chapel just to what? Stand back and look at it? <laughs> You're like, no, hopefully uh, I get a taste for my... The hard work. So, so what made you then? What made you decide to write and record? All right. What? How did? Why? What was? What has changed in your career that you wanted to do this? What changed in my career is that um, Omnivore Records, Omnivore Recordings, just saw that there was no real, no real ba uh, barrier in just approaching. You know, I, pl I was playing a show, and they're like, "Are you doing anything?" Well, no, not at the moment. Well, would you, would you care? Would you, how's your feeling about recording for us? My feeling about that is great. <laughs> you know? And so, you know, you look into each other and you say, I love what you guys are doing. They're like, I love what you're about. You're like, well, then let's do this. And that's really all that ever has to happen. That's really all that ever had to happen. You see what I'm saying? It's just as simple as that. It's like, so because I'm not very good at all of the stuff that that has to happen from mental conception of a thing than to an actual hard plastic item in somebody's hands. I don't know how it becomes a CD, but they do. 
You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, good, I got a record company. That means someone's going to, there's going to be an art department, <laughs> you know? There's going to be a this department. They're going to know how to get it to things, you know? There's going to be, there's, I don't know how it ends up in record stores, but I'm glad they do. Because I wouldn't know how to, I wouldn't, you know, I'm uh, the delinquent kid in the back of the class that doesn't have his administrative or clerical or I don't know how to write a letter or, <laughs> you know what I mean? It would be like, how the hell would that happen? You know, but I know that people have staff. You and I wouldn't have made this call without, you know, it's like, it's like that. It's like, how am I connecting to the world? It's like, well, these people know people. They're gonna, there's a pipeline that's in the works. And, uh, you know, you're going to help to get the word out. It's stuff like that. It's like I would not, I would not have a, a leg to stand on without the support of the system. Well, now, now with, with the new album, when you, when you recorded it, did you have all those songs? Were they, are they older songs? Are they newer songs? Because you haven't recorded for a long time. I mean, were you, you, I'm sure you were still writing and still performing live with those songs. But what, what, yeah. what, how did you choose what songs would go on this album? Because it's been a while, you know, since you've released something. So did you have a bunch or did you just say, I'm going to just write a bunch of new stuff specifically for this album? Well, I always have a bunch and that's like a thing that's always going on. But, um, there's, uh, well, there's only, there's only, there's really only one that's brand new that I don't even know it now to play it live. Uh, um, but they're pretty new. Uh, it's a mix. There's really old songs on there that only made sense to record now because of the band that I selected. You know what I mean? I was like, I was working, I, I did a record with uh, Mitchell Froome that uh, got, uh, it worked out well. It's towards the sun. And I got to use uh, Val McCallum on guitar on that one. I met him there. Uh, we had really good rapport. He's a great player. And uh, so I can, kept in touch with him and followed what he was doing. He was playing his side band, his like project band, was this group called Jack Shit. And I was like, that's a funny name. What's this all about? And I realized, I was like, looking at it. You know, it's Pete Thomas from The Attractions. You know, I was got those, like, you know, bands uh, from way back from my beginnings. So I've always wanted to play with Pete Thomas and um, Davey Farragher on bass. Uh, I met him back in the 90s we, you know, with, with Cracker. We were doing some shows together with Mountain Stage and all those things back then. So I was like, you guys sound great. Uh, so knowing that that was the group I was going to use, I sort of grabbed songs that lent themselves to their, to their style, to their styling. So that made me sift around a little bit and find some things that made sense with their musicianship. So based on the personnel, I was that helped me sort of select and narrow down the songs I would submit. So I sent them like uh, some demos, like 15 songs, um, and then I guess we all sort of I just watched what I like like the crowd, like my relationship with an audience. I really just watched what they gravitated to and had an immediate familiarity with, like whatever they felt the most comfortable with, with the ones that we play. So it ended up to sift down to 10. And I was like, well, don't push it because it's a step, it's a comeback in a sense record. It's a welcome back record. So there's a lot of things that I enjoyed that had, you know, old albums that I remember were, you know, 40 minutes and stuff like that. So I'm like, yeah, don't make it any more than that. That's really good. It's what it, what it creates is, what it creates is like you, 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 uh, you put the needle on there, you know, you play the thing throughout, you know, uh, a lot of, a lot of albums are maybe too many songs to take in one visit. Um, I've been accused of that and uh, guilty of that myself. But this one, you can play it, and then one just leads happily into the next, happily into the next. Oh, my God, it's done? And then you're like, put it on again, because it's like still hasn't absorbed so much of your life and so much of your time that you're, that you're mad at it. It's like, no, that was, that, that's been pleasant the entire way through. Do it again. Uh, so it's a good, like, it's a good repeat album, and I, you know the CD's great for that because it just keeps the CD loops. You know, you have the CD in the car; it'll just go to the top again, and you just like play it for you over. You know, so that's cool. Uh, 
so the songs are a wide span, but of things that wouldn't really sound like, you know, they're not married to a, say, a production style that would sound like that era. I mean, they're just like, boom, these make sense together if we are all playing them. So we're all playing them right now. And so they're new in that they happened in August 2017. And that's, that's you know, that's where we were at. So... I guess, yeah, I came out, you know, 2018, and that's like, it's nice for me to flip over an item that I'm signing for people at concerts, and other people are getting them, and then they bring them to shows, and I flip it over, and yeah, it's 2018, and it's like a fresh new record. So I feel like quite, for myself anyway, I just feel happy, like I'm somehow quite the survivor, and uh, all the help to everybody, all the, all the, all the props to everybody, uh, Helped me keep the machine now, uh, and the wheels wheels rolling. Now, how how has your writing style changed over the years? Has it changed a lot, or have you pretty much just stayed to the same what you know, and or have you grown to for in different experiences? I think uh, well, my my writing has really changed a lot. Um, I would think that maybe what it is is it's not so much the style has changed a lot. Um, I guess I pull the trigger less, you know, and that's with any gunslinger. You just, you know, you, you, you pull the trigger less as you, as you do it. Meaning, um, there was a time I wrote a song about every event, any event, everything, <laughs> you know, everything that happened. I was like, that's a song. That's art. That's another song. That's art. And I'm like the minutiae songs. And you can fool yourself. If you can sing a little bit, if you can sing a little bit, you will fool yourself that that is an important thing. You're like, it's pretty enough. Boy, that's awesome. And you're like, I don't know, really, if you had to write that many on that subject or that many on this subject. You know, I don't know if you, I don't know. Yeah, you can whistle to them. You can tap your toe. I get it. But maybe hang on a minute. Hang on. Wait for, wait for inspiration. Like, don't just be forcing them. You know, just don't just don't write three a day. How about how about that? Why don't you relax on the three a day? <laughs> and 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 I also look at that as like in the position that life. You know, life is like is it's all it's every day it's a, a learning. So you come into it uh, with maybe a blindfold on, like you know, like anybody young like me coming into it. I was like, let me at it, let me at it, let me at it. But you don't know what is at it. You don't know what it's about. It's like you're on the outside of the ring saying, let me get in there, let me get in there, let me... And, like, you'll reevaluate once you're in there. Like, once you're in there and receiving blows as much as dishing them out, like, you know, in practice, you're just dishing them out. And you're ready for the fight. You're ready, ready, ready. And so it's all about, let me get in there. Boom. You set foot in the ring for real. Hey, these people are hitting back. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you look over at, you know, your spouse or your coach or your manager or your agent or whatever, just look at them like, hey, they're really hitting back. He's like, I knew it. I just didn't have the heart to tell you. And then, so you, reca you have to recalibrate. You have to readjust and make new assessments of what, you're, what you got yourself into. And I think having that experience through I don't know 30 years of doing it 25 years of you know doing it out there in the general public out there to the vast reviewing world you realize I don't know I mean <laughs> and I mean if I was a huge star with a big demanding audience meaning like you know, there's people who have gotten great success at the very same thing that I do. Um, they might be say more obligated to record and write more, you know, because the song's getting consumed at a higher rate, you know, and that really that also comes down to the same person who's get, even got a bake shop. I mean, they're going out, they're going off the shelves. I better write some. I got to keep writing it at a higher pace to meet the demand i always feel 
in my non-famous, it's <laughs> my unknown artist kind of a way, I'm writing just enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? And even though it, it may seem like it's lackadaisical, it's like I could also say the same thing about, you know, the appetite for it. You know, like, God bless every individual who needs and wants and, and absorbs and, and feels what I'm writing and what I'm making. The thing is, I do actually know most of them personally and by its first name, you know? So you're like, they're getting enough songs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and look, if I was a more famous act like the people I'm opening up for, like, I would definitely do a lot more. Like, you know, when I opened up for Tracy Chapman and I saw that you know, she could pretty much across America and across Canada, way past her peak song. You know what I mean? This is like when I toured with her, it was like probably uh, in, in 2000, in the year 2000 or something like that, 1999 or 2000, like that. So that's a while past, you know, some of her bigger songs. And I was like, man, well, if, we, if we're playing Red Rock, you know, if we're playing, you know, playing the Beacon Theater two nights, if I had that audience, I would write a lot more than I do. And I would put out a lot more records than than they do. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I would do a lot more than those people I'm opening up for because I would, I love it. I love it more. And if it was giving me that level of love in return, my God, I would take it up a notch. But, uh, so it's like that. It's like how many kisses, it's like, you know, I'd kiss her more, you know, if she lit up when I did it. Right. Kiss, I'm, 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 I'm picking my spots now, right. you know, because <laughs> she's been making kind of a ew face. And I'm like, well, <laughs> hang on, I'll, 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 I'll spread them out then. <laughs> you know, I'd love to love you more is what I'm saying. I would, I'm ready for I'm ready and open and happily awaiting that eventuality. But, you know, if you're giving me a little shoulder, I, I respectfully just, I'll keep quiet and speak when spoken to. <laughs> right. Well, the, the new album, uh, it's, it's out, and you're playing it when you tour. And um, now, now, where can people find the new album at? Wow, where can people find the new album? You know, try your town's uh, last living record store. You know, we're getting them out to all the Survivor record stores. Uh, you know, so there's that if you want to get it the old school way, like I would recommend. Um, if you want to cheat the system, you can absolutely go and get it on iTunes, <laughs> you know, and just load it right in. Um, their uh, Omnivore Records is, you know, a website you can hit up for sale. And there's the Amazon and all the other avenues. But mostly, I recommend you come to the Jeffrey Gaines gig by way of going on jeffreygaines.com, going to the tour page, looking for a show near you, come out to it. I'm going to have them there. And we'll do bids. <laughs> we'll do the meet, the greet, the grip, the grin, the picture, the signing, the whole spiel. There you go. Take, take it away. Take it away right there at the show while it's hot. That's awesome. Well, Manny, I want to thank you for uh, taking time to talk to me. I know you were driving back from Boston last night, and uh, people. So people go check out Jeffrey Gaines. You know, buy his old music, buy his new music. Go to his website, JeffreyGaines.com. Go to my website, coopertalk.com. I have 680 episodes up there. You can also email me, cooper, at coopertalk.com. And you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at coopertalk. I tweet a lot. And don't forget, Instagram is coopertalk1. And I have a lot of food pictures. We talked about the cookbook earlier. You can go to stopthesalt.com, and it's 120 low-sodium recipes. No pictures to intimidate you. No long list of ingredients. Easy to make. Guys, if you don't think you can cook... You can do this. It's very easy. So go get it there. You can get it at Amazon, but if you get it at StopTheSalt.com, 
I make more money, and I'll sign it for you. So, people, please go check out Jeffrey Gaines. When you see when he's in your town, go check him out. Go buy his record. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, and take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next week.